0: That was really wonderful, thank you so much. I admire people as talented as you, because I can't sing a note. I used to say, but I sing from my heart, until somebody said, David, if you had a heart, you wouldn't sing. <laughs> so now I just say, I'm a prison singer. I'm behind a few bars, and I lost the key. <laughs> wonderful to be here this morning at Calvary. I had a wonderful time with your men a few months ago. I want to thank Pastor Rick for inviting me back. Uh, love the spirit of the church, love the vision of the leader, love his passion for the Lord and for the lost, and so I feel very privileged to be here. How many of you have been blessed by the ministry of Billy Graham? Anybody? That's right. Well I have the privilege of meeting Billy Graham last year and uh, as you know, uh, this church has been very supportive of Franklin Graham, who's coming to the Air Canada Center, September 12 through 14. I'm so grateful to you, Pastor Rick, for offering the training here and also for supporting this big event. We're praying that it'll be an uh, exciting event for the city of Toronto and the GTA and that it'll present Christ. I speak with an accent. I was born in Latin America, the city of Montevideo, country of Uruguay, and uh, my parents are from Argentina. I... Whoa, yeah. Yes, especially today. Whoa. <laughs> and so I was told a story in Buenos Aires of a Jewish friend of mine who said, there was a, the story goes like this, he said you could use it someday, so this is the day. He said there, were, there was this rabbi who was addicted to golf, loved golf, passionate about golf. Well, He didn't have to preach in the synagogue that particular Friday. He had the Sabbath off, so he decided that even though it's against the Jewish tradition to break the Sabbath, he would go and play golf. So he dressed incognito, went to the other side of the city where nobody knew him and he was ready to play golf. And in heaven, so the story goes, an angel says, God, come and look, the rabbi's about to break the Sabbath. He's playing golf. You've got to punish him. God looked down, sees the rabbi, says, I'm going to punish him. Right then, the rabbi hits the ball and it goes and this is a, rabbi's not a good golfer but the ball, instead of going 200 yards, it goes 300, 400 because God sends a wind that takes this this ball and it falls on the green a par five falls on the green in one shot and goes round in circles and goes into the hole hole in one the angel said God you said you were going to punish him you made a mistake that's a theological joke you made a mistake God said I did punish him who can he tell You see, God has made each of us, God has made each of us that when something really good happens to us, we can't keep it to ourselves. We want to tell others, and nothing can be truer than the story of the gospel, that Jesus has given us the story of the gospel, so that it's so good we can't keep it to ourselves. We've got to share this love with others, and we know that everyone's on a spiritual journey. And maybe some of you here are here because you're thinking about Christ, but you you haven't begun a relationship with Christ. Well, if that's you, I'm so glad you came. It's not by accident that you're here. God knew that you would come. And maybe this is your moment when you'd say, you know, I'd like to pray and begin that relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you, before the end of this message, I'm going to give you an opportunity, wherever you are sitting, to just pray and start this journey with Jesus Christ. And those of us that have begun that journey with Christ, I came to Christ at 23 at the point of committing suicide in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and since I met Jesus Christ, it transformed my life, and I love to tell others about it, as I'm sure you do too. But how do we do it in today's culture? I'd like to submit to you that today we need to share the love of God with the passionate, sacrificial love passionate, sacrificial love. I believe that that is what will change the world. The first experience I had with sacrificial love was maybe like yours, from my mother. My mother. You see, my mom was a wonderful, dignified, well-educated, very prim and proper, very reserved lady. She would have been a perfect Canadian. (laughs) Very reserved lady, and yet she was loved people and people loved her and she had tons and tons of friends and she would go out her way to help now my dad was the opposite he showed no emotion no love whatsoever uh he told me real men don't cry don't eat quiche don't do aerobics (laughs) but my mom had all these friends she helped them out and i saw her to her love was not a, a philosophy it was a lifestyle it was an action when she saw people in need she simply helped love it's a verb. Love is a verb. And she sacrificed. I remember when I was a little boy, we were in, living in the north of Argentina, and uh, mother had invited people, and some people who were in need, she invited them to the table, too, and she was c- cutting ch- chicken. It was chicken. And she was giving it all out, but she didn't have enough chicken, so she gave all the chicken she had out and had none for herself. Somebody saw that and said, oh, no, 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 take some off my plate, which mortified my dignified mother. No, 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 you can't do that. I remember as a little boy thinking, you know, I know what sacrificial love is. Sacrificial love is willing to give others all of your chicken. <laughs> it costs us, but it's wonderful to be able to do that, to do that. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul talks about how love is the most powerful force in the universe. And he says, the verse 13, And now these three remain. Faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. Isn't that something? That God loves me. God loves you. But God also loves my neighbor and my friend and the people who don't yet know him. He loves them too. And he wants me to reach them. And he wants you to reach them. And it's love, love that's going to do it. I'd like to show you a photograph that's coming up now. This is was taken in the north of Argentina when we lived in the tropics. For six years, we lived up in the tropics in a place called Tucumán, and that's a photograph of my mother, and the little boy on the left is me, and the ugly baby is my brother. (laughs) And it was very hot in the tropics, as it is, and my dad decided that we were all going to go have a picnic. And so we went where a lot of other people went to have picnics on the edge of a river called the Pilcomajo. And my mother, dignified, prim and proper, reserved lady, had a beautiful hamper put together. And and so we went and we spread it out by the river and she put out all the neat things, all nicely done, all the other families having picnics. And my dad took my little brother and me in swimming. And he took my brother and, and he put him on a rock and uh, we, we went swimming, even though even though the piranhas in the water. I swim fast, <laughs> but the locals said the piranhas were not there today. <laughs> a true story. And it's very very hot. The other people were swimming. You think, well, maybe they'll get them before us. There are also alligators called caiman. There you go. So he puts my my dad puts my brother on a rock in the river and takes me out a little further. My mother's there putting out all the nice picnic. Then suddenly, my dad and I in the water hear, yeah! We look, and it's my mother, my dignified, reserved, Canadian-like mother, yelling at the top of her voice, running, falling in the water, getting up, falling again. All the people in the bank saying, she's loka, loka, ooh! And we see this mother who's reserved, running, jumping, diving in. What had happened was that My brother on the rock had lost his balance. Maybe he'd seen a leaf or something and leant over, and he fell face down in the water, and he was being taken by the current face down to where the alligators were. He was drowning. My mother, dignified, reserved mother, saw her son about to die, and she ran and pulled him out, when she pulled him out of the water and he started crying, she hugged him and she was crying too. The people on the bank (laughs) applauded. They realized this is the power of love. Real love will make you do things you'd never do if you didn't love. You see, love will always find a way, indifference will always find an excuse, always. What would motivate my mother to do what she did? What would motivate her to, forget about her, her space and be willing to look foolish? What would motivate her to, to do something she'd never done before? What would motivate her to take a risk what would motivate her to not care if she got hurt? And she did. She slipped on the rocks and she cut a gash to her leg. And later on, she was going to have a leg amputated. We were living in the tropics. There were no doctors. And finally, we managed to get some penicillin flown in from the U.S. at the last minute and saved her leg. But she had a gash for the rest of her life as a symbol. You see, love can hurt. Not only that, but love costs. My mother, what would motivate her? To not worry what the cost. She tore that dress. We were not rich people. She tore that dress, and she had a beautiful sundress. She didn't care. She didn't care. Why? Because when you truly love, love will let you do things you'd never do if you didn't love. What would make my mother have that sense of urgency? She had to do it now. She couldn't wait till later on. She had to go right now and do something, or he'd drown oh why would make motivated to like act like it was life and death because it was life and death my mother i loved her but now i loved her all that much more because love isn't an emotion it's an action love is what's going to reach canadians for christ when christians like you and me love people instead of thinking god loves me and hates them We see God loves them too and wants to love them through us. When we have that kind of love, we'll leave our comfort zone, we'll do what it takes. Imagine if my mother, just imagine if my mother had not done anything. She's putting out the tablecloth, she sees my brother floating down the river and says, Oh, well, I have another son and he's better looking. (laughs) Or imagine if she says, I don't believe in drowning. There's no such thing as drowning. Or if she says, well, I'm not a lifeguard. I've never saved anybody. I don't know how to do it. Let them do it. What do we pay them for? Or maybe she could have stood up and said, I told you not to do that. See? See? But she didn't. If she'd done that, we would have thought, what a callous woman. But she did it because love Changes the world. And when my heart is filled with the love of God and when your heart is filled with the love of God and it spills over into others, we can literally change the world. I'd like to use a very traditional story, very traditional message. And it's found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. And in this passage, Jesus tells a parable. And it starts off at verse, 15, verse 3, Luke 15, verse 3. Then Jesus told them, this parable. And as you read the passage, you see that actually there are three stories there of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. This is a very traditional message. A lost son. But it says told them this parable. Basically, it's the same story, repeated three times, but each time adds to the one before. Jesus, the master teacher, wants us to really understand. And the message is simply that the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's it. Dr. Billy Graham, who I have the privilege of serving with and love the man, my hero too. And Dr. Billy Graham said, you always as a preacher have to say things three times. The first time you say it, the people in the front row get it. The second time you repeat it, the people in the middle get it. And the third time you say it, the people at the front never forget it. So Jesus obviously considered this important enough to repeat it three times to make quite sure that we get it. I'd like to use the word care, C-A-R-E, as an acrostic for four simple things that we get out of this passage that are going to help me to love a broken and a hurting world so that we can help them to find Jesus Christ who is willing to forgive them their sins and, and help them become their friend and change their life. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. God specializes in taking broken people like me and maybe broken people like you. And when we turn to him and we say, God, I surrender, I ask you to come into my life, he is able to bring a healing and a forgiveness that you will never know until you've experienced it for yourself. So if you're here this morning, if you never began that journey, or you walked away from it, I hope that you will say, God, I want to recommit this morning before I leave this place. So let's start then with the letter C for care. C is for compassion. In all three stories, we see compassion. It says in verse 4, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Here we see a shepherd, a shepherd. And this little sheep gets lost. It's one of a hundred sheep. That sheep represents people today who who wander away. The sheep didn't intentionally choose to get lost. It probably started eating some grass and got away from the flock and suddenly realized it was lost and didn't know how to get back to where it needed to go and started to bleat. I think that's what they do, bleat. And so that represents people today, people who are not bad people. They're good people. They've just never committed life to Christ and maybe they've done fine until now, and maybe they're going through a tough time economically or with a job or a marriage or relationship or something, and suddenly they wake up to the fact that, that they don't have God in their life. And they find out, suddenly discover that they're lost. And so we need to have compassion for people that are lost. It says in the book of Isaiah, the next scripture is coming up, it says, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every one of us is like that, but God loves us and wants to find us and wants us to find him. So we need compassion for that. Number, the second story is a story of a lost coin. Lost coin, the lady has 10 coins and she loses one. The lost coin is an inanimate object It represents people who have no concept of God whatsoever. No concept. A lot of them in our culture today. No concept at all, but they still need to be reached. They still need to find Christ. And the third story is the lost son, and this is the story of the prodigal son, and it goes on to say in verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, and this son was in the father's house, but he chose to rebel against the father, and he went away to live it up, and that represents people who know about God, who maybe even know Christ. But they rebel, they decide to go their own way, get into the wrong crowd, maybe into drugs, maybe into sex, maybe into alcohol, I don't know. We mess up quite easily, don't we? And gets, suddenly goes off. And maybe that represents you. And you've walked away. But God doesn't give up on us, and he loves you. And he wants you to know him, to reach, wants to reach you for him. When I pastored in Toronto, and I was 16 years in a church like this when it grew, multiple services and all of that, and we had a a guy that came in, a transvestite, dressed as a woman, looked prettier than some of the women, (laughs) and I'll wait for you, (laughs) and he came in, and and he, I don't know why he came, but, but immediately, I guess he wanted this religious people to shock the Christians. And so he cursed and swore in the lobby and went into the men's washroom. I mean, stop and think about that. And, and it, incredibly, the, the Christians that he was thinking would be shocked and yell at him and cast him out or something, they didn't. And this is a commendation on the Christians in the church. They went up to him and got to talk to him, and he cursed and swore, and they still kept talking to him and found out that he was a male prostitute on Young Street, on uh, Jarvis, actually, and uh, he, he was involved in drugs and things and all of that, and, and they talked to him and tried to help him, and anyway, he ran away, disappeared. Quite a few years, months later, he comes back again, and this time he's got tattoos on his body, very messed up young man, shaved and tattoos on his body and, crazy. Again, cursing and swearing, and the people, instead of pointing fingers, got to know him, took him out for lunch on their own. It wasn't part of a church program. They did it on their own, like if they were Christians or something. <laughs> and they loved this character. And, and he went away again and came back another time, and this time he had piercings all over his body. In fact, if you had a magnet in your pocket, he'd follow you wherever you went. And again, the people got to know him and they helped him get into a drug rehab program and and so on. And I remember when, about a year or so later, he committed his life to Jesus Christ. And it wasn't the preaching that did it. It was people who loved him, who had compassion for him. They didn't reject him. They didn't judge him. They loved him. And he had that day a Mohawk, the biggest Mohawk you have ever seen. And he committed himself to Christ and was being water baptized. And we learned something that we didn't know. The gel is water soluble. (laughs) And so here he was in the baptismal tank with this humongous mohawk. It was red and yellow and green and blue. A lady in the pew said to her daughter, his hair doesn't look natural. (laughs) To which the daughter said, neither does yours, mom. And in the tank, this this guy talked about how Jesus Christ had helped him, and through the Christians had given up drugs, and now he was committed 100% to Christ. Wow, that's what we're about. But it only happens when we have compassion, when the love of God motivates us, and we realize that lost people matter to God. The second letter. In, in, in care is A for action. Love is a verb. It's a verb. And we see it says the sheep. So first of all, we have the story of the sheep. Uh, does he not uh, leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? So we see the need for action. It's not enough to know the sheep is missing. You've got to go do something to find it. And then the same is true of the woman with a coin. It goes on to say, does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And the same is true of the son, the story of the son. But while he was a long way off, the father saw him. The father was searching the horizon, looking for the sun. You see, action, action. It's interesting to see that the first story is a 1%, one out of 100 lost. The second story of the coin is one out of 10 and then the third story is one out of two sons at 50%. Jesus helps us build on the story before. In a way, in a way, we see the Trinity in the story. We see the, the, the shepherd as Jesus, the shepherd of the flock. We see the woman searching for the coin as the Holy Spirit working through the church to reach the lost in the neighborhood through you and me. And then we see God the Father as a picture of the father who loves the son. What motivated the story that started this, why Jesus started to teach this in the first place, is the next verse that's coming up on the screen. Verse 1 and 2, Jesus had the f- religious people. The religious people of that day said this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The religious people then, and the religious people today in Canada, even maybe even in Oshawa, didn't understand that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. And the only way that we can reach them is by getting to know them, by building bridges to them. My friend Michael Green from Oxford said to me, David, we want people to say to us, you built a bridge to me, and in time, Jesus crossed that bridge. But many of us don't have any bridges. We don't have relationships, genuine, credible relationships with people who yet don't know Christ. So we need to think what steps, action steps, can I take to build relationships? You see, if you told that shepherd, but you've got 99, why are you bothering to go after the one? That wouldn't cut it for him. That one meant everything. He did what he had to do to go find that one, even though he had 99. The woman, the same story. But you've got nine coins there. why go after the one? No, she swept the house and did everything she could to find that one. She did everything she could to find that one. And the same with the story of the son. General Booth, who started the Salvation Army, once got a, a telegram, I guess it would have been, and the telegram said, Doc, General Booth, we've done all the things we can to reach people for Christ, and none of them are working. What should we do? And Booth sent a wonderful telegram back with two words on it. Try tears. Try tears. You see, he knew that when we start loving, when we really love lost, as Jesus does, we will find a way. Love will always find a way. Indifference will always find an excuse. So God, God, help us to see that, number one, give me compassion for the people around me in my my neighborhood Number two, God, help me to find steps of action so that I can get to know them. I can build friendships. I can build bridges, a credible relationship. Because not only do lost people matter to God, but they're worth saving. They're worth doing whatever it takes to find them. And then, so C-A-R. And R is for rewarded. What makes this story quite amazing is that each of the stories finishing with the person that was looking, finding what they were looking for. ha So, rewarded, rewarded. You see, the Bible says, seek and you will find. But if you don't seek, guaranteed, you won't find. There's also a principle of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you will reap. But if you're not sowing anything, if you're not giving the gospel away, not much is going to happen. But all of these three are rewarded. That's the exciting part. So... Let's go back to, to the one before, the verse you just had up a minute ago. Perfect. So here it says, verse 5, when, uh, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. So we see then that the shepherd finds the sheep. The next one, the lady finds the coin and the father sees his son coming home. Each of them is rewarded. I remember when a lady in my congregation uh, who had come to Christ herself and and she had prayed a prayer, as I said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray that prayer yourself. And by it, you, you're just not joining the church, you're simply making a relationship with God. Uh, I came to Christ at 23. I was brought up Scotch Presbyterian. But my father preferred the Scotch to the Presbyterian. <laughs> we were brought up with no religious background. And I was sitting in a church like this one, a lot smaller, there were 40 people in it, in fact, 38 of those people were women. The only other man was the guy preaching, and just me. And I was there because my life was coming to pieces. I brought up in an alcoholic, abusive home. And uh, anyway, the story's abuse is not funny in any context. Neither is alcoholism. And so I brought this broken home, and even though outwardly I was a success, had a great job with American Express, I was doing university, doing really well, But inside, I was broken, I was a very angry young man, very angry, very resentful young man. And I realized that that to succeed in the rat race, you had to be a rat, and the bigger rat won, and I didn't like it. And so I thought, what have I got to lose? Maybe that's why you're here this morning, like I was. And I wandered into this church in a place called Belgrano, in the outskirts of Buenos Aires. And I sat there, and I heard that there is hope. That God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God came to give us life. In fact, Jesus said in John 10:10, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. It, it's different than what we think. The secular world thinks that God is, is out there to get us, stop us having fun, and nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus came to give us a life, Abundant, worth living now and for all of eternity. Tragically, many people never find it because they never turn to Christ. But you are here this morning, and I'm going to give an opportunity to respond to Christ like I did. So sitting in that little pew there, I realized that I was a sinner. I was separated from a holy God by sin. The Bible said, for all have sinned to fall short of the glory of God. And I was separated from God. I tried to reach out to God with good works to be better than the next guy, but I never managed to make it. You see, if to get into heaven you need a perfect score, none of us has a perfect score. But God, in his love, did something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. He sent Jesus Christ to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, and then to die on a cross. And as he died on the cross, he died to pay the price for my sin and your sin, past, present, and future, in a way that I will never understand. The Bible says he became sin for us. Then he was buried, and he rose again and lives forevermore. In John 1.12, this is the verse that most impacted me. It says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. It's not enough to know about God. You need to receive him for yourself. You need to not just know him here, you need to know him here. You see, the gospel is about love. And if you're here this morning and you've never prayed to begin your life with Christ, I hope that you will do it. I'm going to pray that in just a few moments' time. And maybe... That's just for you, just for you. It's worth worth praying that prayer. It changed my life, and I'm sure it will do the same for you as you put your hand in God's hand, and you leave this church with your hand firmly gripped in God's hand and for the rest of your life. Well, this lady in the church said to me, my husband likes you, but he wasn't a Christian, didn't want anything to do with Christ. He showed up once or twice and thought I was okay. Obviously, doesn't have much sense. And so she said, would you take him out to lunch? So I said, sure. And so out of a sense of obligation, I took him out to lunch. His name was Ernie. He uh, owned a furniture manufacturing store uh, right by the airport in Toronto, by Pearson. And so I showed up uh, to take him out to lunch, and he said, we're going in my vehicle. And he was in jeans and a lot of sawdust. It was a factory. And then he said, and we, so I drove in his car, and he took me to a... Uh, a rundown restaurant that I thought was a strip club. Fortunately for me, it wasn't a strip club. Then he lined up a lot of beers, and then he started to swear and curse, just to kind of shock the pastor, I guess. He didn't know that my dad used all that language. In fact, so did I when I was working on my testimony. <laughs> and so I tried to get to know him, you see? Love is, love is about, about compassion, Love is about action and, and it's rewarded only if you do something. So, so I said, what do you like to do? And he said, I like fishing. Now, I don't know, you probably like fishing. I believe your pastor likes fishing. Is that right? He likes fishing. Well, I, I personally don't like fishing. I quit fishing when they outlawed dynamite. <laughs> I think fishing is having a nap with a pole. So I said to him, oh, you go fishing. I'll go fishing with you someday. And he said, sure, how about Wednesday? I said, sure, Wednesday. Okay, what time? I thought like 8 o'clock at night. No, no, 5 in the morning. 5 in the morning. Yep, 5 in the morning. Come to buy my house, 5 in the morning. Now, I'm not a morning person. If I get up at the crack of dawn, I fill in the crack and go back to bed. Okay? So here I am, four in the morning, driving to this dock everywhere, thinking, what was I thinking? I show up at his house. He's pulling the boat out of the driveway. And we get in, and we go to Lake Ontario. We launch the boat, and it's uh, exciting, and get on the boat. It's pitch dark out there. And, and he has depth finders, OK, and little TV sets that show you where the fish are. You literally see them. They're going, hey, you're not catching me. <laughs> And he had machines that took down the, the reel to the depth. I have no idea what I'm talking about, okay? I just saw them. And we zoomed here, and then he'd hear the walkie-talkie or whatever it is, radio, and somebody was catching fish over there. We zoom over here. At the end of the, the time, which was like 7 o'clock, he didn't catch a single fish, not one, but I did. Ernie became a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I tell you the story simply because all it takes is love to do it. If you are willing to, to love like God loves, you do what it takes. I don't like fishing, but you go because that's what it takes. And, and you go because you love them, and because God loves them, and he wants to do it through you. And if you're here this morning, and you're like Ernie. Ernie, by the way, I met him the other day just a couple of months ago. He showed up at one of the events I was speaking at here, and, and his wife Nancy came, and they hugged me, and they told me how the life has been so amazing. Since that day, he committed life to Christ. Wow. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer before I continue the sermon. Let's just close your eyes, bow your heads in prayer. I'd invite you to pray if you're a Christian for the person to your left and to your right and in front of you and behind you. And I don't know where you're at in your walk with God or your spiritual journey, but I think that it's not by accident that you're here, that God knew that you would come. And God loves you. He loves you so much. That he wants to forgive you of your sins he wants to become your friend he wants to be your savior and as you begin this journey this morning uh, my prayer is that you mean mean it and that you will want to grow in your faith and you connect with the local church and all of those things but it starts with a prayer a willingness to surrender and say god i need you in my life so i'm going to invite you to pray along with me this is a prayer pray it along in your own heart and it doesn't have to be exactly like this, but, but pray it. And you're praying it to God, certainly not to me. And it goes something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner, that I made many mistakes. I repent of my sins. I ask you, God, to please come into my life and forgive me for all my past. Wash me completely clean this morning. Give me a new start. Help me be born again. Fresh beginning. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to make yourself real to me and help me to grow in this faith from this day on. Thank you, Jesus. Keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. I just want you to respond. I'm not going to point you out, but I just need to know, and you need to know, that this was a deciding moment in your life. If this is you, I'm going to invite you to do something that I did. that is simply put your hand up quickly so I can see it and put it back down again. Thank you. You can put it down more. Just slip it up. If you didn't do that already, I'm going to wait a few minutes more. A number of hands are going up. Thank you. Just waiting a little minute more. Thank you. That's right. Maybe you're here and and you're coming to Christ for the first time. Or maybe you're coming back to Christ this morning. Just slip your hand up quickly and put it down again. Thank you. Father, I pray for these people that are responding to the wonderful, loving message of Jesus. That this morning will be a turning point in their life that will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, this church is an amazing church. If you don't have a home church, this is the church to come to. Pastor Rick, I need an amen from you. Amen, thank you. Okay. And uh, in the little folder you have, there's a little tear-off section. If you'd like to let the church know that you prayed that prayer, uh, they would be happy to do that. So fill this out and you can give it at the Information Center. In fact, also at the Information Center, they have two giveaways. If you prayed that for the first time or you're coming back to Christ, they have a wonderful booklet, which I think is a wonderful call. Now that you're a Christian, very helpful, very, very helpful. It's at the Information Center. Please pick one of these up if you prayed that prayer for the first time. And they also have a book called When God's Story Becomes Your Story by Max Lucado, an amazing writer. These are two excellent books. Make sure if you prayed that prayer with me, please go and pick them up at the Information Center. We also will have pastors here at the front. They'll be happy to pray with you if you'd like to come and talk to them. They're wonderful. This is is an excellent congregation, and so that's it. Okay, okay. So we've seen three things. Care, see, Lord give me compassion. Lost people matter to you. A is for action. God, help me to do what it takes to reach out to my friends and my neighbors and the people at the gym, at the university, the people in the next cubicle to me, the people on the plane next to me. And then R is rewarded, that as we sow, we will reap. And so the more we sow, the more times we have a chance to share the love of God, the better it's going to be. And then finally, the last one is excitement, excitement, excitement. All these stories finish with the lost being found and a celebration. And the celebration must be not just on the person who finds them, but those that are found. I'm sure the sheep was thrilled to be back in the fold. I'm sure he was thrilled. I remember a lady who came to Christ one week, and the next week she showed up at church, and she said to me with the biggest smile she ever saw, I've ever seen, she said, this was the best week of my life. And I'm so thrilled that God uses imperfect people like me, broken vessels like me, and like you, to help take this wonderful message of love to a world that desperately needs hope. Desperately needs hope. So that's why I'm glad that you're all participating in the big event with Franklin Graham at the Arcana Center. Maybe you bring lots of friends and neighbors that are searching for Christ with you as you come September 12th through 14 to that event. And then you've got the people who who do the sharing. My daughter, I have three daughters. My wife and I don't know how to make boys. <laughs> and so my middle daughter, Heather, uh, studied at McMaster as a nurse, and she's married now, but when she was studying, she was single, and so she had to do a practicum, going into people's homes to, after they'd had surgery. And so she had a little sign that said, Heather McFarlane, my name is David McFarlane, so she's Heather McFarlane. And so the lady that she was helping said, you, Heather McFarlane, do you know a David McFarlane? That's me. And my daughter reluctantly admitted (laughs) that I was her dad. And then the lady said, would you tell David that he led me to Christ and I'm still following Jesus? I have no idea who the lady is. But just the fact that God can use people like me and you to change people for eternity humbles me every single time. Wow, what a privilege we have. What a privilege we have. So we see then that what it says in verse 6, it says, look at the excitement here. Then he, this is a shepherd, calls his friends and neighbors together and said, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that on the same way, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. All of heaven is involved. When you and I are out there sharing the gospel, God is with us and God, all of heaven looking. It's pretty cool. I'm having a revival here all by myself. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we see the excitement with the, the lady. It says the same thing. And when she finds it, the coin, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, so Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin in the same way. Jesus is teaching here in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner who repents all of heaven's washing us watching us as we go out in our different places and then the last one the wonderful story of the prodigal son finishes with the last thing verse 24 for the son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate all of heaven celebrating wow exciting So what have we learned here? We've learned something very simple. That if we're going to change our world, it's sacrificial love that's going to do it. Not better methods, better people. God, help me to care, to care. C, compassion. God, fill my heart with compassion. Help me to see the lost people matter to you. A, Lord, help me to do something about it. Action, action, do something. Because they're worth saving, doing whatever it takes. R is reward, that I can go on in the knowledge that as I sow the seed, God will look after it. And then E is for excitement. If you want an exciting life, start sharing your faith because it's far better than bungee jumping. <laughs> I close with this. I, close, I have two closes, by the way. So first of all, I'm going to comment that I have a book for sale if you'd like to pick it up. It's called Ignite Your Life, Living for Significance. It's in the second printing. And it's endorsed by Luis Palau, uh, Charles Price, and a whole bunch of people. And it's $15, and I'm giving you a CD of another message if you'd like it. So $15 gets you the book and the CD. I'd be happy to autograph it if you'd like me to at the back. I close with two stories. Number one, there was a, in South Africa, South Africa, there was a, a whole bunch of farms, and unlike Canada, it's warm in South Africa. And so they had lots of duck farms, and the ducks don't have to be in a barn because it's nice and warm outside, so each farm has them in a corral, just a fence around the ducks. So this farm had their ducks in a fence, this farm had their ducks in a fence, this farm had their ducks in a fence, there you go. And everything was just fine until the river flooded. And when the river flooded, it overflowed the banks, and it flooded the whole countryside. And they discovered the ducks float. So all of a sudden, the water started to go up, and so did the ducks. The water started to go up, and so did the ducks. the the water went up, and so did the ducks. And the water went over the top of the fences, and all the ducks were now one big duckery. (laughs) And that is what God wants to do in Canada and wants to do in Oshawa. You see, the love of God through the Holy Spirit wants to, this morning, take me and you. And he, the Holy Spirit, the love of God, wants to take us from where we are up, beyond our prejudices, beyond our fears, beyond our excuses, beyond our sense of of unworthiness, beyond those things that stop us, beyond, beyond, till we are free in the love of God, to work together across this wonderful area of Oshawa and Toronto to see people come to Christ. Don't you agree? It's a love of, amen, it's a love of God. Let's give the God a hand, not me. Thank you, Lord, we give you all the praise, we give you all the glory. I want to thank you again, particularly your Pastor Rick, who's a wonderful guy for his courage in inviting me. I close with this, one of my favorite news stories of a man who's dying, and there's an old man, and he's a multimillionaire, and he's in the United States, and he's dying, he's on his deathbed in the hospital, and he says, I want to speak to my lawyer and my surgeon. So they think he's going to write a new will and testament, so they invite the lawyer to come, and the surgeon to come, and the old man says, a little closer please, so the lawyer comes closer, and the surgeon comes closer, the old man says, A little closer, please. So the lawyer comes closer and the surgeon comes closer. And then the old man says, a little closer, please. The lawyer's right there. Surgeon's right there. And the old man goes, ah, I want to die just like Jesus between two thieves. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to die like Jesus. (laughs) But we want to live like Jesus. And when we live like Jesus, the sacrificial love, we will change the world. God bless you.